This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition. We are uh, experiencing some technical difficulties here that we are working out with the automation system. Thank you uh, for bearing with us. It is still the show about your calls, if you make them, to 603-435-1105. Joining you from the LRN.FM studios in beautiful Keene, New Hampshire. Tonight, it's Sam. And Wayne. And we have a number of things to talk about in lieu of your calls. Um, Wayne, there was a lot of stuff that went on here, right here in uh, downtown Keene. We had our very own checkpoint for uh, for drunk drivers, a sobriety checkpoint here uh, in a town of 25,000 people. Now, these have been going on across the state in a number of uh, different cities, and I know in Manchester and I think Nashua and Concord as well. So it's an initiative by the state police, but... Here in New Hampshire, they have to do it, I think, a little differently than some of the other states. They actually go and get a petition, or they go and petition the the superior court here and uh, let them know the time, the place, the date that they're going to do this. They basically have to go get permission for this little window here of where exactly they're going to set up the checkpoint, how long it'll be there, and so forth. And then that way the public's informed, and usually it's printed in the newspapers and so forth. Well, the, the local paper here didn't bother to go and pull that that uh, subpoena or the, the uh, petition to find out where it was going to be, but we ended up finding out about it just because of all of the uh, the liberty activists here in Keene have radios and so forth, and we're able to uh, call this in very quickly. Now, one of the other things that happened this weekend is the Keene uh, Music Festival, where there are loads of bands in. I don't know what the crowd is. I would guess maybe 10, 20,000 people that come in to watch the various bands. They play all through the afternoon and into the night. And uh, it's also the first, uh, like one of the first few weeks that uh, college, all the college kids come into town because Keene is a, uh, a college town as well. And it's a holiday weekend. Oh, yeah, and it was Labor Day weekend. So the police decided they were going to set themselves up a little checkpoint. And what they did is uh, Keene has a really nice main street that uh, has a couple of ways to uh, to get out of the of the city. There's like a couple main arteries. They set up at the end of Main Street going to one of the major freeways to get out of town. And they were stopping uh, every car that uh, that came down the road, at least the the ones if if nobody if there were, they only had one station that they set up. And I talked to the. Uh, some of the state troopers that were out there, they, they weren't too friendly, and I, I shot some video of that as well. They, uh, they you know, started off the encounter by shining a light at me while I'm pulling my camera gear out. And so when I turned my light on, though, they didn't like that very much, and they two of them came over and shined their light right in my face and told me to turn the light off. Who won? Because it was bothering them. Well, I asked them, are the street lights bothering them? Because those lights are shining right on them as well. And uh, then I, when they realized, uh oh, he's kind of got a point there. I said, you know, I can just turn the light down like the street lights, and they said, oh, that's fine. So, in the midst of all this, we had uh, <laughs> we had something else come up. So they would they would stop one car, they would put it into the station, and then the police would surround the car. Pretty much, there'd be people at the back looking at the uh, license plate to make sure that all your papers are in order. Uh, there would be somebody, you know, at the window asking the driver for his driver's license and your registration papers. And, of course, they're going to do a cursory search where they look in and see if they can find anything from the plain sight rule where, you know, if they see an open container or something like that, oh, you better get out of the car. Now we're going to search through all your belongings. I'm wondering what the combined salary and benefits package of that whole 
entourage is? Well, they had, uh, I think it was six state troopers out, and then KPD, the Keene police, were assisting them as well. Uh, we also had an incident in the middle of this. Uh, there was a fight. Um, now, Keene police were not there kind of uh, working the checkpoint. They had a couple cars there, but I didn't see very many uh, po- local police running this checkpoint. It was pretty much the stateies were doing the whole thing. Uh, but at one point, there was a fight that broke out at the gas station a little ways down from Main Street. And the police just came in from every direction, driving uh, probably 40, 50 miles an hour down the street where all the college kids walk back to their dorms. Uh, you know, they go over the speed bumps and you can hear that and see the lights going everywhere because the cars almost go airborne doing that kind of thing. Uh, and then when they got to the traffic circle, there was this poor lady making her way safely around the circle and they almost run into her, run her off the road basically to get around so that like five cops could go to a fist fight between two people. And I just, I don't understand, you know, how, why there, it's necessary to endanger people's lives in order to go respond to a fist fight. But it's fun to drive fast. I, it must be. You I know? mean, th- if I were going to be a cop, that's one of the reasons I would be a cop is just so I could drive fast and not get a ticket. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. we've had uh, one of the uh, SUVs rolled over after a after a car accident there's no responsibility it's not like they're going to have to pay for it it's not like their insurance rates are going to go up what do they care well there are times where if you're really you know let's say you you really consider yourself a peace officer but you know you have to go somewhere and keep the peace where you might have to take the risk you might have to make a call like is it worth the risk right now of driving fast and maybe slightly dangerously to save a life or something but if two idiots want to beat each other up you know um and and you're sure it's a fist fight that's how it was called in um, by the time you get there, it's probably going to be over anyway. Yeah, that see, that's one of the biggest problems that I've seen with the uh, the police here, and I think everywhere too, is the the police in the field get limited information. There's we had another incident with uh, one of the local activists went into the lobby of city hall on the second floor, which doubles as the the uh, local district court lobby as well, where the clerks are. And he was basically grabbed by two court security officers. They disarmed him, took his firearm that he was open carrying, and locked it up and told him he wasn't free to go. And the police responded just like that, with everybody rushing in, sirens blaring for somebody who was just exercising a right. And they ended up having to say, oh, sorry, the the court security officers have no clue what they're doing. They're poorly trained and, uh, you know, Sorry, we uh, they arrested you and, and disarmed you. They shouldn't have done that, but oh well. So what happened with the arrest? Was it dropped? The I I don't think they arrested Rich Paul in that case. This they just was the detained activist him. at the court. Yeah, they just mm-hmm. detained him for a while until they could sort it out. You know. Well, it's good that they did sort it out, and it's good that they, now they know that that these are are rights that people some people take seriously. But I would think that there would be you know. <laughs> If it's my job to ensure the safety of the court and, and uh, you know, that's what I'm getting paid to do, I would actually make a conscious effort to go out and read the laws to understand what my duties are to, to you know, ensure that I'm not going to do something really stupid or make a mistake to ensure that I'm serving my customers. Of course, these people don't have customers. They have victims that right. come in. Well, there's no real market forces at work here, right. obviously. And there's no uh, profit or loss, and there's no fear of, of killing the goose that lays the golden eggs yeah. like there is in the private sector. Exactly. 
So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of this uh, police interaction going on. And this Saturday, they set up the DWI checkpoint at the end of Main Street. Uh, and we heard, uh, I heard calls about it on the radio. So I grabbed a camera and headed out there and uh, gave the, uh, the, bet you did. the state troopers a little bit of a, of a lashing, you know, letting them know, look, you guys are being uh, desensitized as well here by the feds who are trying to federalize the police and pouring uh, billions of dollars into local municipal police departments, giving them SWAT gear, giving them machine guns, giving them tanks, you yeah, name tanks. it. It's all through Homeland Security. Yeah. And and for in some cases, people are getting these SWAT teams with a town of like 10, 20,000 people the size of Keene. Why would you possibly need an armored personnel carrier? Well, in if they have it, they're going to use it. Of course. I mean, you know, when you have a big hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. So we'll get into this uh, checkpoint. We've got some video footage, audio footage that we're going to play for you and break down what happened. It was very interesting. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, Sunday edition. It is the show about your calls. If you make them to 603-435-1105. Tonight, it's Sam here with you. And Wayne. And if you want to learn more about Free Talk Live, you can check it out online at freetalklive.com. There are all kinds of options there. Uh, They have the listen lines, which you can call and listen to the show if you're away from your internet connection or uh, not picking it up in your area. And those numbers are 706-569-7762. And long-distance charges do apply, so make sure you know your uh, phone's calling plan. Anyway, so we are covering the events here from Saturday with the uh, music festival. We're going to actually go back to that once we get the uh, the uh, DUI checkpoint out of the way, uh, in, in, unless listeners want to call in and bring stuff up. But uh, we had left this with uh, basically they had set up this checkpoint at the end of Main Street. They had sort of, they have to petition the courts here in advance, Wayne. So they tell everybody. You know, this is where it's going to be and when it's coming and so forth. So they picked the busy weekend when all the college kids are back at the end of a day of uh, bands playing and people walking around drinking at the restaurants and so forth. Of course, they're controlled. So, you know, I don't know why they would be worried about drunk drivers because it's licensed government establishments who are out there actually serving these people. So they wouldn't serve them too much. I mean, we wouldn't have a problem because that's why they're licensed, right? Uh, obviously, obviously, yeah. They paid a lot of money for those licenses. <laughs> and so apparently, though, that wasn't enough. They needed a checkpoint to search people's cars without any cause other than the fact that they're driving down the street and that they have an open uh, lane to uh, do the inspection where they basically check all the papers, make sure you're you're a good slave and that all your vehicle's in working order and you've done jumped through all their little hoops. Well, they they also want to make sure no criminals come up here from out of state, you know, on a holiday weekend and uh, wreak havoc, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, That must be a huge problem. Well, there's people from Massachusetts drink a lot. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) they drink a lot, and and they're probably the ones. Causing the problem. Causing all the problems, yeah. That's why they're getting them on the way out of town. And, of course, I guess if you give somebody a ticket and they're from out of town, they're, they're far more likely to just pay up rather than actually try and fight it in court, which can be oftentimes more expensive than the ticket itself. So, Bingo. Yeah. Okay. 
So they uh, they set up this checkpoint, and I had sort of uh, gave them a little talking to, and uh, <laughs> they had come over, shine the light in my face, two cops with two flashlights shining the light in my face because one just wouldn't quite light me up enough. Who is this uppity slave? Yeah, sitting here questioning us. And, uh, you know, I kind of finished with that. They weren't really uh, too responsive. They didn't like what I was saying. It, uh, several times they turned their flashlights on and pointed them at my face. I'm like, oh, you're doing that because you don't like what you're hearing? I'm sorry about that. It must it must really suck to be out here and, and living in this bubble that everybody loves the police and you guys are heroes and have someone come out and pop that for but you. But you, you have to admit, though, they did exercise restraint with you because oh yeah, yeah if it were another place you know they could you come had, over yeah, and you beat the gotten, crap out of yes. me like mama ali uh like that happened to mama ali in uh, savannah georgia i mean mm-hmm. she didn't she wasn't even talking to them and and you know giving them kind of a verbal lashing she was just filming them i was doing that and letting them know look i really don't appreciate what you guys are doing here and i think what you're doing is dangerous and you should really start thinking about why the federal government is wanting you out here searching people's cars without cause. What are they trying to train you and and, uh, get you adjusted to, to where it's normal for you to just ask for, uh, for, to search people's cars and vehicles and possessions, ask for their papers without cause. Why would they want you to do that? What do they think is going to happen? That, you know, that's a very good way of framing it. If you think about it, because a lot, a lot of the, the cops are, um, they consider themselves public servants. They consider themselves uh, peacekeepers. They consider themselves um, patriots in many cases, you know, for the Constitution. And so when you frame it that way, it, it probably presents an interesting dilemma for them. I think it did. So we uh, we were out earlier in the day. I was carrying around signs, and we'll get back to this during the music festival. We did a uh, sort of a modern-day Stanley Milgram experiment where you have symbols of authority and you direct people on what to do because you're holding a symbol of authority even though you have no real authority, or not that any authority is real. Um, Are you talking about the uniform and the badge versus the individual person? Right. The Stanley Milgram, Milgram experiment was where they had guys, actors in white lab coats, uh, giving giving a person instructions that the experiment must continue. And the experiment was to shock this guy who they could hear but could not see. He was on the other side of a divider and giving give him increasing levels of electric shock therapy, even to where the dial said it was fatal, to where it could be fatal. And, you know, most of the people just went right along and delivered these potentially what they believed to be fatal electric shocks to the person across from them. Maybe they didn't believe it. Maybe they thought it was fake. Well, the guy's sitting there screaming, please stop. Ah, You know, it (laughs) it was they were some of them were really worried. And and a small portion, I think it was like 20 percent stopped the experiment and said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. But most people, the white lab coat was enough. So one of the things we had was a sign with an arrow. And and we were having some fun with the arrow, just directing people along with the walkie-talkie. We'll get mm-hmm. into that. But, but uh, you know, I've noticed over the years, even when I was growing up in Connecticut, that if there was a speed trap ahead, for example, if you were going down the road, maybe a quarter mile up the road, you'd start to see people blink their headlights. Yes. And, and even up here, I see that. And that's exactly what we did for this DUI checkpoint, something very similar to that. We took the sign with the arrow, and I thought, you know what? If we just warn people that this checkpoint is down here at the end of the road, they can make the decision as to whether or not they want to go through the checkpoint or just want to keep, you know, turn off somewhere early and avoid the whole thing, avoid the whole hassle. 
And so that's what we did. I uh, I found that arrow sign from earlier in the day and gave it to the activists. I'm like, go uh, go down to the circle, which is it was a good ways. I mean, we're talking probably a hundred yards away from the checkpoint at the head of the traffic circle, where people can can take any number of different exits uh, to to get away from the checkpoint without you know really looking suspicious or anything like that. And they had multiple ways to get out of there. So 280, one of the local uh, liberty activists here in Keene, went out with the arrow sign and stood at the end of the traffic circle. And guess what happened to him? Police came up and wanted to have a little conversation with him. Let's hear this. All right. Can I help you with something? Yeah, I'm happy to go ahead. Yeah, but you're looking down here. And I know they have the laws written down. So basically, they've just pulled up on the in the circle there, stopped, gotten out of the car, and uh, apparently, two eighty did not want to give them his uh, his full name because all he's doing is standing there holding a, a piece of paper. Two eighty. So is it T W O? And how do you spell the last name? It's two, the number two and then eighty spelled out. I gave him that. It, his real name is uh, Andrew Mercer. So he didn't give him his name, and I guess the cop didn't want to talk to him, and and they don't know the, what the law is, but they're coming up to tell him that you know we don't think you can do this, and we're gonna we're gonna keep you here until we figure it out. So what can I help you with? All right, you're not gonna talk to me. I just asked you your name. You don't want to talk to me, so okay. Let's see. There's a DWI checkpoint down there. You're holding a sign. I believe you're playing cards. You're not free to leave. Am I being detained? Yes, you are. For what? For making, doing something with the DDY checkpoint For down there. What? Pointing cars away, stopping cars, and pointing them away from the DDY I didn't checkpoint. stop anybody. You stopped. No, you, you had that car stop right there. I... Uh-oh. You're warning the slaves. You can't do that without our permission. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition. It is the show about your calls if you make them to 603-435-1105. Joining you tonight from the LRN.FM studios in Keene, New Hampshire, it's Sam Dodson. And Wayne. And we are going to, uh, we'll get back to the story about the DWI, Wayne. Uh, we, we're kind of in the middle of playing some of the audio of uh, the police stopping some of the activists there, but we've got a... A call that just came in. We'll see who this is. Caller, you're uh, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, Sam and Wayne. I'm calling tonight about a recent um, news news story in the Boston uh, Globe, I believe. Okay, who's it's this and done. where are you calling from? Uh, this is Andrew Ness. Oh, hey, Andrew. All right, go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Um, the story is called Craigslist Adult Services Section Blocked. Oh, yeah, I saw this. And uh, my opinion on this is that um, the people that would harm a prostitute are actually probably celebrating in regards to this because now it's going to possibly either drive it to other websites or drive the prostitution trade underground. So someone who might abuse a prostitute, um, you know, they would pick them up on a street corner, uh, more likely, and there wouldn't be a email trail to follow. Um, so it would be even more difficult to track these people down that would harm a prostitute. Yeah, so... And obviously... What, yeah, exactly. What you're pointing out is that the, the varying levels of prohibition on a, a given product or service, in this case it's uh, prostitution, the oldest business in the world, 
You know, it's not going anywhere. It's been around for thousands of years. It's going to be around for thousands more years, regardless of what these police think they can do to uh, step into people's lives and tell them how to live. And so you're bringing up an excellent point here. Craigslist is sort of a medium between the legal end of it, like you have in Nevada, where the girls are tested and it's very safe. Uh, there are not a lot of problems. They have security and, and, and medical care and, you know, all of these things. Whereas uh, Craigslist is a little more sort of gray or black market. And there's a section in there where uh, escorts will post, you know, basically soliciting sex without, uh, I guess, going into to explicit details of it. You know, it's the word game thing, I guess. And the I, there's no way for them to uh, to meet unless they exchange emails or I guess exchange phone calls or something. In which case, the cell phone provider is or the, the the landline provider is going to have records of those telephone calls. They can trace that back to an account, and they have a starting point of uh, okay, where did this? Uh, how did this contact first occur? In case the girl ends up dead or something like that. Whereas if you go and just pick up somebody off the street corner, there may be a camera from an ATM or something, but it's going to be poor quality. It's probably not going to have a license plate on it. You you might get lucky and get a, an eyewitness or somebody that uh, that saw what happened and will be able to to uh, track down the, the killer. But I'd say it's pretty unlikely. And so what we have here is really the government just sort of uh, stepping in to uh, to shut down uh, basically their own failure and and stop a private company from stepping in and, and doing something that's legal, letting people post uh, post ads for, for uh, I guess, leasing their time. <laughs> I don't know what the right terminology to use here is. And uh, there are going to be some unintended consequences. Well, they obviously need to understand the concept of balloon economics, which is also true in the drug trade where when you squeeze one side of the balloon, it doesn't eliminate it. It just simply manifests some other way. Exactly. And it was from the pressure of multiple attorneys general um, that sent Craigslist letters, and they finally caved under the pressure. Now, they did this. I thought it happened. I, I remember seeing this like six months ago, maybe a year ago. Do you remember that, Wayne? Yes, I do. And, you know, these attorneys general are basically politicians, and they want to appear like they're doing something. And and because a few people probably wrote them letters. Oh, yeah. So they're looking out after politics and not common sense here. But getting back to the previous, um, uh, was it was an article about maybe a year ago? Uh, yeah. Well, I remember I, I remember this exact issue coming up and I thought that they had taken it down. But I guess they maybe they did temporarily and decided to put it back up or something. I think it was after uh, there was a an incident where somebody was hurt or murdered or something from a Craigslist meetup. In fact, they called the killer the Craigslist killer. That's I right. Remember. Yeah, that's what it was. And so I guess they've brought that back somehow, and now they're uh, they're being forced out of it by government. So an unfortunate situation. Uh, Andrew, any other thoughts? Oh uh, no, that's it. Thanks, guys. Okay, great show. Thank you. All right, we'll go uh, unscreened here to the uh, call-in line. Caller, who's this? This is the Green Bastard. The Green Bastard. <laughs> Where are you calling from? From parts unknown. Okay, and what's on your <laughs> Why mind Why do you call tonight? yourself green? <laughs> I won't tell you on the air. Okay. But hey, basically, what I want to talk about, you're talking about uh, old checkpoints and 
things like that. People used to flash their lights, put up signs a quarter mile down the road to notify people that things are coming up. There's actually a high-tech way of doing this. What would that and be? Ian, Ian, being like a fan of <clears throat> smartphones, there's an application called Trapster. Ah, uh, okay. Kind of like uh, Napster, but Trapster. Basically what it is, you fire it up on your smartphone, and um, it gives you like a Garmin GPS type of display. You see your car going down the map, and if you see a checkpoint or a live officer, you click the button, it basically marks those coordinates on um, on uh, Trapster's database. So basically anybody running Trapster in the area, nice. if they come within a half mile of that, car, or of that checkpoint, all hell breaks loose on the phone, bells and whistles start going off. Um, my Android basically start saying live bullies ahead live bullies ahead. <laughs> so, now, is that so a, okay. is that a customizable message can you say gestapo ahead or <laughs> <laughs> or have your papers know, ready I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't dug into it that deep yet but so I, and i like, guess it's I going all... to be time sensitive as well so you know if the report yeah. was two hours ago it may not be as give you as heavy of an alert as it would be if it was 10 minutes ago i believe that um yeah i think the oh the Oh, the data is it's time sensitive. I'm, okay. I'm sure it goes away after a while. I know I know I've driven by by a point, come back a half hour later. I don't get notified on the phone. Yeah, wow, so, that's smart. It's not. Um, I kind of live in a rural area, so it's not too um handy for me. I'm, I probably only had it work a couple times for me, but I've heard live bullies ahead, and I was actually a cop there. But I'm thinking uh, it might be handy for you guys up there in Keene. Yeah, yeah, you know we've uh, we have a, some similar services. Pork four one one is sometimes used yeah. for that. I'll hear calls come in where uh, people will just say, "Hey, we're on Route one hundred one or whatever, uh, coming up on uh, this spot, and there's a trooper out there uh, radaring people or stopping people or whatever." Uh-huh. And so it, it works, I guess. Um, the problem well, comes in. Like last night, there were a lot of uh, drunk college kids driving in the riding in the car. Driving is probably not not the right words. Most of them seem to have designated drivers, but uh, sure. riding in the cars with open containers who are not necessarily going to have their in the right frame of mind to pull their smartphone <laughs> out and launch this app. Right but on. I think it's a chicken and in the egg kind of thing. The more people that get on this and use it, the more effective it can become. And I Trapster, oh. huh? I think that's a good right on Trapster. Is it on the marketplace, the Android marketplace? Yes, sir. All right. I think I'll have to download that. Any other uh, any other thoughts? No, I've got a pizza in the oven. I'm going to go grab that before I get the munchies. So All right. Take, take care. <laughs> have a good night, green uh, monster. I wonder why he's getting the munchies. I don't know. All right. Let's, uh, let's get back to this uh, checkpoint. So we left off where the police had shown up to uh, 280's uh, location there at the, uh, about a, 100 yards away, and he's been told, oh, you're not free to leave, and the, uh, the troopers are on the way, and they've, I don't know the laws, but they have the laws written down, and, and there's stuff that you can't do, and we think you can't be doing what you're doing. So don't go anywhere. And here's what he said. Uh-oh, I think I just advanced. Click. Hold on a sign, I believe you're playing cars with gun. You're not free to leave. Am I being detained? Yes, you are. For what? For making doing something with the DWI checkpoint down there. What? Pointing cars away, stopping cars, and pointing them away from the DWI I didn't stop anybody. You stopped. No, you you had that car stop right there. I saw you holding the arrow, pointing down this way. Okay, there's a difference between jumping out in the road and demanding a car stop and holding a sign up that the cars might want to stop and say, "Hey, what what do you, what's the arrow for?" Big difference. 
but not according to the police. All right. Uh, Free Talk Live. We'll be back after this and uh, cover the rest of the story. 603-435-1105. Call in. Share your thoughts. Bring up anything. Hold on a sign, I believe. This is Free Talk Live, Sunday edition of the show. It is the show about your calls if you make them to 603-435-1105. And we are going to waste no time here and jump right back into this uh, DWI topic that we've been talking about, uh, the checkpoint here in uh, local Keene, New Hampshire, that uh, went on Saturday night after the music festival. And we've been going through the audio of uh, one of the activists who went down, held a sign, uh, with an arrow on it. That's all he had done at this point. Apparently one of the cars stopped and the police don't like it when, you know, the subjects are outsmarting them. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. And so they have told him at this point that he's been detained. And so uh, let's go back to the audio. If I can... Hold on a sign. I believe you're pointing cars with gun. You're not free to leave. Am I being detained? Yes, you are. For what? For... Making do, doing something with the DDY check for, down there. What, Point, pointing cars away, stopping cars, pointing them away from the. DDY I didn't stop checkpoint. anybody. You stopped. No, you you had that car stop right there. I saw you holding the arrow, pointing down this way. Okay. Could okay. it be possible I knew the person? Come on now. Oh, you're telling me I didn't know the person that just I'm drove by? I'm telling you, you didn't know the person. I didn't know the person. Yeah, who was it? My friend. What's their names? Their names are Ethan, Heika, a couple other people in there. Oh, okay. Okay, now there I want to just kind of. Uh, I don't know. He didn't. He gave up more information. It's it's easy to sit back and critique these situations, Wayne, when you're you know listening to them from the comfort of your own home or whatever. Uh, it's another thing to be there talking to the police, being threatened with arrest, and told you're not free to leave. But uh, he didn't really have to answer that question at all. I mean, they had nothing. What police do is they come up on a fishing expedition, and the more that you say, the more they will try and use any way possible to hold it against you and extort money or drag you off to a cage. Now, how would you have handled that part of the interaction? Uh, I don't... You know, I typically try and ask questions and point it back around to him. And and say, well, you know, he, he mentioned you're being detained. Uh, um, what's uh, what probable cause do you have that I'm being detained would be my question back. Okay, and he said, oh, I, I don't know. I, I was just told that this, the state troopers will be coming down and they they have the laws written out. And you we don't think you can do this. So we're going to in the meantime, we're going to restrict your access now. If I walked up to somebody and said, I think what you're doing is illegal. And I told them if they were going to if they left, I would you know, that they were not free to go, I'd be committing all kinds of crimes. But when the police do it, it's just, you know, business as usual for them. Come on now. Oh, you're telling me I didn't know the person that just I'm drove by? I'm telling you you didn't know the person. I didn't know the person. Yeah, who was it? My friend. What's their name? All right, let's skip ahead. What am I being charged with? You're being detained you're being right detained. now. For what? I don't have to tell you what you're being charged with right now. What am I being detained for? If you wouldn't mind telling me. DWI checkpoint. I told How am I interfering? For a minute. Interfering from 100 yards away. I wasn't away standing on the road. DWI checkpoint. You're holding signs. I'm holding a sign. Mm-hmm. Pointing away from the DWI checkpoint. Can you cite me the law against holding hey, a sign? Hold on two seconds, and the troopers are going to come down. They have things written to hand out to you. So guys. I have to sit here while you try and figure out. Two one thousand. Troopers haven't come down. What am I being charged with? You're being detained right now. So I have to sit here while you try and figure out what law I'm breaking. Yep, they have it written down here now to you. Are we having fun yet? (laughs) Are we having fun yet? It's not getting arrested, though, it's fun. 
Apparently, I'm being detained. You're being detained? Mm -hmm. Good God! They, they don't know. You have a reasonable they don't know why I'm being detained. suspicion that this gentleman has committed a crime? They're waiting they to figure out if I'm committing that. a crime. <laughs> You're not committing they're, they're bringing someone to look at the laws. <laughs> don't these guys swear an oath to uphold the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and, What's that? and the laws? <laughs> well, yeah, good question. They don't really know. They don't need to know that. They just, you know... They swore their, their integrity on upholding these things, but they clearly don't even understand the basic uh, framework of the document and the intention behind why it was written to begin with. It's a sad state of affairs here in, in America. So if I walk away, are you going to leave me alone, or are you going to come what, tackle what, what me or something? Think? I have no idea what, what you're going to do. Think? I don't know you from Adam, so I don't know, know what you're going to do. Either. Right, right. But I'm not going to do anything to you if you walk away. That's the difference. I don't know. You won't even tell me a name. I don't see how it's important. I didn't ask you your name. I guess I have it on a badge. It doesn't matter to me what your name is. Who's in first? Freedom Fighters was out here with an arrow sign directing people somewhere uh, or away from somewhere, and uh, now he's being detained by the Keene police, but he's not under arrest. They're very adamant on that point. But he's not free to go. And they have not yet. So wait, wait. So why was I detained then if I have a right to stand here? I didn't know that. I know that. So you can hold me and. Okay, so what happened? We just skipped ahead there in the in the video a little bit, but basically the the police got word that apparently Wayne, you are allowed still in America to stand on a sidewalk and hold a sign with an arrow that that's not an arrestable offense. So they decided to tell him, "Oh, we can let you go. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna do you a favor and go ahead and let you go." And thank you, good citizen. For your cooperation. Until so you when figure it, out when it comes to the DWI okay. checkpoints. All right. Okay. I don't want to argue with you. Okay. And all I wanted to do was ask you a simple question. What's going on? And I was trying you, to ask you a question. You were the one who wouldn't tell me your name. Okay. You wouldn't tell me who you're talking to. We're on the defensive. So what am I supposed to do? Listen to what he just said. He just totally placed the blame on 280. You were the one who wouldn't tell me your name. You were the one who started all this. You're responsible. He was standing on a street corner. This, stop, this cop comes up, stops, gets out of his car, starts asking questions, and when he doesn't answer the questions, he tells him, you're not free to go. And if you leave, what do you think's going to happen? Of course he doesn't want to admit the fact that I will tackle your butt, I will put handcuffs on you, and I'll drag you off to a cage if you try and leave. But you're the one causing all this, 280. I mean, seriously, it just shows the level of indoctrination that the police have, the, the sort of doublespeak that must be rolling around in their head in order for them to make these kind of nonsense, idiotic statements. I mean, how could you come up and victimize somebody and then claim, oh, yeah, you started this whole thing. This was all your fault. If you would have just told me everything I wanted and answered all my questions and jumped through whatever hoops. So in my attempt here to charge you with a crime and drag you off to a cage, this would have gone much easier for me. Well, well really, for them, it's probably about obeying orders because that's what they're how they're trained, that, that when they stop somebody, the person has to obey them and obey whatever orders that they they bark out. Correct? Well, and the the reason that's the case is they're not supposed to stop anybody unless they have something called probable, probable cause. cause. Yes. Well, that was back in the old days, though. So. <laughs>
I guess the it's a living document, right? All the laws, meaning the police just get to interpret them however they, however it serves them best at the moment, because they're not even consistent in the way that they interpret them from one day to the next. Unfortunately, that's why the whole system has to be uh, taken a task now, because it's gone too far. People are forgetting what what, it, what it's like to have rights. Absolutely. Let's finish this up. You're supposed to just leave me alone. Okay. I just walked by. I didn't stop you and harass you. Right. You stopped. So I'm, I'm simply asking what you're doing. But okay, so oh, I'm simply no. asking you what you. But doing. I wasn't allowed to leave. Who got defensive? But I wasn't allowed to leave. Who wouldn't give me their name? Oh, I can you. answer that. So I can't leave yourself. unless I give you my name. Have a good night. You too. And that was the DWI checkpoint. So after that, I came down, got this, got had a marker with me, and wrote "police checkpoint ahead" around the arrow, and we stood out there the rest of the night and directed cars away from the checkpoint, or didn't direct them away, but let them know that there was a checkpoint down at the end of this street. So if you take that turn, you're going to likely, very likely, be searched. And we had uh, about 90% of the cars, probably 40 to 50 cars that went through at this, you know, between midnight and 2 a.m., gave us thumbs up. That's an overwhelmingly positive response. Had several cars go through and honk their horn, at least eight that I counted, uh, we had one guy go through that one of the guys that honked had a taillight out. So had he gone down that street, he would have been issued at least a warning, maybe a fine. Who knows? He could have even been dragged off to a cage somewhere. So uh, Did you tell him to get his taillight fixed? No. Actually, what I would do when the, the people, you know, the, the, several times, three or four times, uh, cars full of drunk college kids would go by and they they had all of their cups with beer in it i would imagine you know they're leaving frat parties it's a college town uh they're they're driving by and they would would yell out the window thanks man we love you and that sort of thing um i would tell them hey have a good night guys be safe and and that was my sort of comments to them but had those guys gone down the street, every one of them would have had a, an open container ticket, and a lot of them probably would have gone to jail. And then you're talking hundreds of court, or not hundreds, but dozens of, uh, of court cases, attorney's time, judge's time. I, I mean, this is such a racket, not only to extort money from the subjects, the college kids who come in here with their parents' money and they're they have, paying. Their parents these, have a lot of money. Yeah, well, and it's great for the town, isn't it, when you rob all these people that come in here and, and submit them to all of these uh, police state checkpoints and so forth. But some parents would probably be grateful that you, that you, uh, you know, kept their children safe and uh, arrested them and took their money. The, the kids seemed to be pretty thankful. I mean, they were, uh, they were quite pleased with what we were doing. And even the ones walking back to their dorms were reading the signs. One of the other things we did is when the cops went by, we'd flip the sign around to one that says, never question authority. <laughs> All right, we'll oh, be boy. back with uh, hour number two here. This is Free Talk Live. Call in, bring up anything, 603-435-1105. More after this. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition, jumping in to hour number two live, joining you from the LRN studios in Keene, New Hampshire. Tonight, it's Sam. And Wayne. And we, uh, let's see, Wayne, in the last hour of the show, we kind of covered some local events that were uh, were going on here in Keene, New Hampshire, related to the DWI checkpoints that are happening around the country but uh, I want to shift gears here since we don't have any calls. But if you'd like to call in and bring up anything, 603-435-1105. 
And uh, in the meantime, though, let's talk about the economy, because this is something you and I both think is really important for people to have a grasp of, a really solid understanding of what's going on, because it's, it's, it's complicated. There's, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's Loads a, of it. A lot of people who are very ignorant who think, oh, 401k is the way to go. That, you know, that's what all the financial advisors tell me is the best plan. And that's, well, that's true if you have a, a solid foundation uh, that the, the plans are built upon. But th- these plans are built on fiat currency that's not backed by anything and, it, and is f- quickly losing its status as the uh, world reserve currency. And by the way, there's been a lot of rumblings now that we may see an Argentina-type confiscation, kind of a backdoor covert confiscation of a lot of people's t- retirement plans because there's a lot of money. There's trillions of dollars in there and government wants it. Oh, and yeah. They're so insolvent now that uh, you may see things like that happening. And it's not that they confiscate it right out. I think they, they pr- proportion some of it into sort of government uh, bonds. They'll government, give you government bonds. bonds. Yeah, but, investments. But bonds are a huge bubble right now, too. Of course. They're yeah. way overvalued. And it's only because the federal government has a AAA credit rating still. But that may not be forever if, if they keep going in, in their present direction. Well, China has downgraded the U.S. Uh, US credit rating, and they're one of the biggest lenders. We, you know, you have the huge uh, trade deficit with China. And uh, there was also, I think it was last year, 90% of the bonds were, were monetized through the Fed, meaning the, the banks go to uh, the Fed and they loan money or they, they borrow money at near zero or a quarter percent interest rate. They then turn around with the – they borrow that money with the expectation that they're going to turn around and buy bonds with it where they get paid at about a 4% interest rate. So you know, wouldn't that be hard to make money if you could borrow money for free, then turn around and deposit it right back with the people who loaned it to you? Of course, you know it's the Fed versus the Treasury at this time, but – who can tell the difference? Because you know you have the same executives, the CEOs of of uh, of Goldman Sachs and and the other uh, brokerages and, and investment firms rotating through the revolving door of the head of the Treasury mm-hmm. and and all of these key positions in the uh, the U.S. government. So it really is the the um, corporations, the big banks that are running and in control of the monetary policy of this country. And your your story is along those lines. Yes, it, this story came out just recently. It's entitled, Enron Accounting Has Bankrupted America. U.S. Deficit Really $202 trillion, Kotlikoff says. Wait a minute, wait a minute. $202 trillion. I, I've heard that the deficit is $13 trillion. Well, that's the current uh, stated deficit. But okay. when you consider all the other stuff they're not talking about. Like what? Well, Social Security, Medicare, uh, some of the assurances they've made in the bailouts to the banks okay. and foreign countries, which we don't know about, which Ron Paul has actually questioned Bernanke about, says we can't tell you. When you take all that and put it together, they're saying now, or uh, Professor Kotlikoff, who's from Boston University, claims it's at about $202 trillion. Okay, so this is if the, you know, we say we had the magic red button where we could push and stop all government spending but still to fulfill all of the promises that they've made up to this point for all the people retiring and all of the government pensions and so forth, that's where the $202 trillion number comes We're from. We're still screwed. <laughs> all right, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's hear the details. The Congressional Budget, budget Office, CBO, forecasts the U.S. budget deficit will hit $1.3 trillion this year. An astronomical figure to be sure, but that's lower than what was projected in March. Oh, goody. 
It's also less than last year's record 1.41 trillion deficit, which was close to 10% of GDP. And that's the good news. As the deficit grows, so does the national debt, which is currently more than 13.3 trillion, according to official figures. And official figures is, is in, in italics. But the situation is actually much, much worse, according to Boston University economics professor Lawrence Kotlikoff. Forget the official debt, he, he tells Aaron in this clip. The real deficit, including non-budgetary items like unfunded liabilities of Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and the defense budget, is actually $202 trillion, the professor and author calculates, or 15 times the official numbers. Now, there's, uh, there's, this guy is a, a college professor, is that? And economist at Boston University, okay. which is no slouch. So Yeah, and I've also heard something similar to this about the TARP funds from the chief inspector of the TARP program, who's a government bureaucrat. And what he said is, oh, no, 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 no. It's not $700 billion that, that the government has borrowed. It's $28 trillion, and this mm-hmm. was published in Bloomberg. Yes. So here we've got a college professor saying it looks like it's two hundred trillion, and then we also just in the one little seven hundred billion dollar. You know, when you're talking about these numbers, seven hundred billion is a lot of money, but on this scale, it's peanuts off the charts. But they're saying that program created twenty eight trillion in liabilities. So there, I think there's a lot of uh, sort of supporting evidence to back this uh, this viewpoint up. Yes. And he claims that Congress has engaged in Enron accounting, and he just recently penned an op-ed for Bloomberg uh, called U.S. is Bankrupt and We Don't Even Know It, which I read. The interesting article. You might want to Google that. Yet the debt market continues to have an insatiable appetite for U.S. Treasuries. Heading into Monday, last Monday's session, the yield on the 30-year Treasury bond, which moves in opposition to its price, was its lowest level since April 2009, which means that the price of the bond is very high, the interest rate of the yield is very low. So mm-hmm. you're almost getting no benefit except for a perceived safety in, in investing in bonds. Right, because the uh, the good faith and credit of the dollar is backed by the United States government, and gosh darn it, that means something. Well, in the past it, it did, <laughs> but that was before the, the U.S. government became the largest debtor in the history of the earth. Right, and, and I think one of the things... People don't understand, maybe some of the financial uh, people who are financially illiterate to some extent, don't realize that it's really people's faith in the dollar, in the the U.S. government and so forth, that gives it the value because it's not backed by anything anymore. I mean, you mentioned Mm -hmm. Ron Paul. He's he's asking, speaking openly, saying we need to audit the Fed. I mean, he put that bill out there to, to get that going. I think it passed the House, was defeated in the Senate or something like that. But recently he came out and said, where's the gold? I mean, you guys, you took all this gold from people uh, in the 1930s or, or uh, whenever it was. 30s. 1930s. 1933. Put it into uh, Fort Knox, supposedly. And what happened to it? Is it still there? It hasn't been audited in 50 years. I mean, how do we know what's happened to it? And the, the rumors and the speculation is that while there may be some gold there, doesn't belong to the U.S. government. They've loaned it out to uh, to other countries that have poured, you know, their their money back into these uh, worthless bonds. And there's also a lot of information coming out that a lot of the central banks, not just U.S., have been leasing it to multiple parties. So what that does is that artificially inflates the perceived supply. 
Uh, Which the, keeps the are, price down. These are the derivatives that we've mm-hmm. uh, been talking about. And it's it's the same sort of formula that goes on time and time again, regardless of the bubble. As they, they go into the, these financial terrorists, the big uh, investment houses, go into these uh, markets. Uh, the latest one that they tried to do was, uh, I think, the, the sports teams and and issue those on the open market so they can create all these derivatives and pump them up and pump them up and then at some point it just it comes crashing down. You know if you've ever traveled uh in in an area of the country where the, a lot of these Wall Street guys go out to eat where they live, you know, you see a lot of really really expensive cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's very I find it very very interesting. Now where did all this money come from, you know? Why is how, it the biggest building in town is usually the bank? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, where's the money coming from for these people, these individuals, to be making that much money where they can go drop a hundred grand, hundred and fifty grand in a car? You know, I mean, did they earn it or did they steal it? Well, Gerald Salente, someone like him would say, they robbed it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well they used they used government to yes. help them assist in the armed robbery so that way their hands don't get quite as dirty. What did they produce? Good question. All right, we'll uh, come back, wrap that up, get into some other topics. Of course, you can call in, bring up anything, 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition. It is the show about your calls if you make them to 603-435-1105. Call in, bring up anything that's on your mind, and we will talk about it. Uh, in the meantime, though, we Wayne was you were just finishing up a story about Enron Accounting bankrupting America. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap that up. Yes, we were talking about Boston University economics professor Lawrence Kotlikoff saying that the real deficit is about 15 times what the government says. And he, he talks about all the issues around um, uh, money that will be coming due. He, and he says that the market is focused on the molehill of official debt. In time, the U.S. will have a major inflation problem that could rival that of Germany's post-World War I Weimar Republic, he predicts. We have to think about the fact that unless the government gets its fiscal uh, act in order, we're going to have government printing lots and lots of money to pay these enormous bills that are coming due over time. Yeah, he's really saying that these bailouts of of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, and these trillion-dollar deficits are, are not a temporary thing, that it's basically going to get worse and worse and worse from here. I mean, if we, you hear the, I heard the story out of, uh, I think, Chicago, where the Social Security office there was, was pulling out these uh, treasury forms or something like that, where they had the, a surplus fund from all the baby, baby boomers, that now they're starting to cash all those in, and Social Security is starting to run in the red. Well, ever since the 80s, Congress had voted themselves to raid the Social Security Fund and throw a bunch of IOU slips in a filing cabinet in Washington. So the money that's supposed to be there for these people for retirement, which they were promised, whether you agree with with Social Security or not, it was promised to these people, and they're dependent on it now. And maybe they didn't save as much or invest as well as they should have because they thought they had that. Mm-hmm. They're going to be they're going to have a rude awakening. I, I'm really fearful for elderly people at this it, point. It's a Ponzi scheme. I mean, when you take somebody's money and promise them we're going to invest this on your behalf and and it'll be there and it'll be safe for you, and then you go off and you spend it, you're you're committing fraud. I mean, that's what the government's done here. 
And, and, and you know, it's, I've, I've seen people work it out mathematically before. And if you, in your lifetime, when you started working, instead of paying into the Social Security system, if you had just saved it on your own, <laughs> even at 5% interest a year, yeah. you'd have 10 times more money nice. for retirement than you would from a Social Security check because the whole system is built on not giving you back everything you paid in. That's how the system stays afloat. Yeah, I mean, we I broke this down with uh, somebody, one of the local uh, people here. We get, had got into this conversation, and, and it goes like this. Who lives longer, uh, rich people or poor? Well, they're rich because they get better medical care. Who lives longer statistically, men or women? Well, women. What about white versus black? Well, white white uh, people live longer. Uh, what about, you know, and we broke it down to where eventually it gets to it's rich old white ladies That's right. who are the greatest benefactors of Social Security. Most blacks end up dying before the benefits even kick in, so they pay in their whole lives, get nothing back. Whereas with an insurance policy or something like that, your survivors get that money. That It's your money. Well, even if you saved it, you know, even if you saved it yourself and you only live to 55, your family would get it. Yeah. Especially if they didn't have all these oppressive uh, uh, inheritance taxes. Because if you if you save something, you've already paid your taxes, let's say. You know, let's just say we believe in taxes the way they do it now. That money is yours free and clear. So why does your family have to pay taxes on that money that you are already taxed on? That's what's left after you've been taxed. You should be free to, uh, to give 100% of that to your family members. We have words on paper that say so. That's right. That's, right. uh, that's all it comes down to. Because we say so, and if you don't, then uh, we'll, we'll put you in a cage. That's, that's where we're having these problems. And, and, and Professor Kotlikoff says, and he claims, and I agree, that America is in need of a major reform of the health care, retirement, tax, and financial system. He says we need to perform heart surgery on this economy, not putting on more Band-Aids, which is what we've been doing. Barring that, your hard-earned dollars will, will soon be worth be worthless he he declares and i i tend to agree with him i do too and and historical there's a lot of historic uh historical precedents for this because this is not the first time this has happened but this is definitely the biggest financial bubble in the history the known history of the world yeah and we were talking about this during the break uh right now i believe it's about 60 percent of the u.s dollars are sitting outside of the country they call those euro dollars okay yeah so as the U.S. continues its decline, and, and I think people are going to get what was promised to them. They will get their $700 check or whatever it is from Social Security every month. And that will be enough money to maybe buy groceries at the grocery store for a few days. Well, that, that's what Alan Greenspan said back around 2003 when they questioned him in, a, I think it was a senator congressional hearing. He said, well, we can pay the benefits, but we can't guarantee their purchasing power. Yeah. And that's exactly what could happen. That's if they, they go the inflation route, which is seems to be the most um, probable Likely route they'd go point, because yeah. of all the debt. You know, you can't, they can't allow deflation because deflation is very difficult on debtors. It's good on savers, but they don't want you to save. They want to take your savings. So the most probable route is going to be money printing on a massive scale in the next few years. And to go with that, at some point... Uh, I, there's no telling what chain of events will really unfold to the, and how exactly this is all going to play out. But at some point, the world is going to say, all right, that's it. I've, I've had enough with these, with these Americans. They're in here doing uh, all of this inflationary spending. There's no way that this dollar, it's not backed by anything. It's not going to keep its value. I'm done. Get me out. And they've got 
60% of the currency that, you know, what can you do with it? You can't spend dollars in, uh, in Brazil or, or uh, China or anywhere else. Well, when the, when the dollar is repudiated, which it may someday, it could be sooner, it could be in a month or a week, nobody really knows. But it's just like when you're up in the mountains and, and there's, there's a, a landslide. What was the snowflake that caused it? What was mm-hmm. the gust of wind? You know, it doesn't take much once the pressure builds up. And that's what we're looking at here at any time, maybe by the end of this year. I don't know. It's, it's, it's relatively quick, probably within the next three years, but it could be much sooner. That snowflake, that gust of wind is going to hit and there's going to be an avalanche. And look at what's happening uh, today. I mean, unemployment, they've been telling us, oh, green shoots. Remember that in the yeah. spring? We're, it's looking much better. We got green shoots popping up everywhere. And here we are months after that. Employment, unemployment is higher. You know, the, the, the economy is not getting any better. Mm-hmm. There, uh, we're, we're in this situation where people are, uh, what was it, 42 million on, uh, on food, stamps. food stamps, Yeah, one in six, Not a good sign. some kind of uh, government assistance program. There's also an all-time record number of people uh, who are considered long-term unemployed, which is, right. which is really uh, alarming. So all of these people are going to be selling their stuff to pay rent. To Including stocks. And- Including stocks, including TVs, including houses, including cars, whatever they've got, and that's going to inflate the supply side of the of supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have trillions of dollars flooding back into the country, into this environment where prices are already low, and they're going to be buying up whatever real assets are left in the country. And uh, that that's a pretty classic sort of collapse scenario and does not look very good for uh, the average American who's depending on and counting on the government to be there for them and take care of them when they get old. So, uh, grim news, but uh, I think there are some rays of hope and maybe we can talk about those when we come back. Yes. 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. Joining you tonight, it's Sam. Hey, Wade. And if you like Free Talk Live, you can get involved and go check it out. I'd suggest you join the AMP program. You can find out more about that at amp.freetalklive.com. Those guys help uh, do the, it's basically the marketing and advertising budget for Free Talk Live and for the Liberty Radio Network. Those two have been merged. And I know uh, Mark and Wayne, and uh, not Wayne, you're sitting across from me. (laughs) Mark and Ian are uh, attending a conference out on the uh, West Coast later on this year and uh, going to, you know, go shake hands with the bigwigs and be seen. That's kind of what it's all about there. And it's the amplifiers that are uh, making that entire trip possible. So find out more there at amp.freetalklive.com. So, Wayne, we uh, got into sort of some of the bad news, some of the grim news about, oh... Just some of it, too. There's two, a lot more than that. $200 trillion in uh, unfunded liabilities, the the dollars backed by nothing, the gold's gone, the, uh, the you know, the situation is looking awful. But uh, there there are some things, some positive things that are going to come out of this. There are some things that people can do to prepare, to get ready, to, to sort of weather the storm a little bit better, having knowing this information. And I think that's why it's important to bring this up, that people have some kind of a, 
a foundation in this financial education, and and we wanted to take a few minutes to just sort of talk through some of those. Yeah, and you're you're already seeing the the free marketplace react to a lot of what they think is coming. You're seeing more people doing gardening now. Yes, you're seeing people start to make moves to become more self sufficient, to live simple, a more simple life, to have lower expenses. So those things are happening. But I think the only way that this system is ever going to fix itself is is to collapse. And so all all they're really doing is they're they're kind of uh, prolonging the inevitable here, and but but because that's there's there's so many special interest groups that really have have a um, you know some skin in the game here that don't want the system to collapse, but it's going to, and they're hastening it by by propping it up. Well, now in the Soviet Union, when Russia collapsed, the stories that I've heard is that the politicians knew that this was coming. They knew that they were at the end game for for communist socialism. That you know you just can't make all of these promises and expect that you know everything will be okay. That they can just print money to to pay for all this stuff. And they had a pretty big military budget. Last Wednesday, I read a story about Finland and how mm-hmm. Finland, even though they don't have a big military budget, you know they've made a lot of promises to people as well, and and their system is collapsing as well. Yeah. That, they, that they've got financial issues. A lot of those Scandinavian countries that a lot of people who are pro-socialism tout as the example for the world yeah. don't realize that these countries are in debt up to their ears, too, because of all the promises they've made. And these things balloon over time, mm-hmm. even without a big military budget. So, but, but really, what has to happen globally is that they have to allow all the debt to be repudiated. They have to just clear the deck, start over again, and, and let, uh, uh, let all the bad debt liquidate. And then you can you can have a new beginning. But until then, all they're doing is they're pouring all this funny money, this monopoly money, down a black hole, and and the black hole's appetite for this funny money is increasing. It's not decreasing. Right. So it's only it's and it's going to suck everybody dry in, in, in the process. It's it's a black hole to the people, to the taxpayers, because it's their value. I mean, it, it's a black hole to anyone who holds U.S. dollars, because that's where the value when they print money, what they're doing is creating money without creating any accompanying value. Mm-hmm. So the value comes from all of the dollars and the faith and credit that's in existence already. So a lot of people have gotten very, very wealthy, as we were talking about earlier, buying big cars, big houses, making millions, getting all these multi-million dollar Christmas bonuses every year. <clears throat> but what value are they creating? Well, they're not creating They're pushing value. paper is what yeah. they're doing. They're, they're robbing the cupboards blind, just as the politicians did in Russia mm-hmm. when the writing was on the wall that, hey, this thing's, this whole Soviet Union thing did not work out. It's coming down. And, I mean, there were stories of the, uh, the people working in the space program were stealing the food supplies that went up with the astronauts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, where are they going to get more food? But it, 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 that's how... That's how corrupt, that's how bad it got there. And I, I can't see America doing much better. Well, this country really has three basic economies, you might say. You've got the, the uh, government economy, the government-related uh, uh, money and, and transactions. Which is like 55% nowadays. Yes. It, it's, it's really big. And, and, but that doesn't create any wealth. It, it consumes it. Mm-hmm. You've got the financial economy, like Wall Street and the banks, they, they provide a service, but to a point. But they've grown so large also in proportion with the productive sector that they're, they're bloated and they're a parasite as well. And then you have the real economy, the, what you might, might want to call the Main Street economy, which could include manufacturing, mom-and-pop businesses. That's where most of the jobs are created. That is shrinking. That is being um, taxed to death. 
uh, and, and there's no, and there's, it's being disincentivized to grow. They're being regulated out of existence to, to a great extent. And we see this, whether it's in the agriculture with some of the farm bills that require the huge corporate lots to, to tag their animals with one tag per herd, while the individual farmers have to tag every animal and do all of this tracking if they want to sell their beef out of state. This was the last one that they tried to pass in Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so ridiculous how biased it is towards the people who, to no surprise, are the ones writing the legislation, the big corporate interests, the big corporate farms. I started uh, watching Food, Inc. I don't know if you've seen that, to where they talk about how the chickens are, and, and I'm uh, our, my family has farm out uh, has uh, land out in East Texas. It's been in the family for a couple hundred years. Uh, there are lots of chicken coops. It's it's cattle land out there as well. So there's beef cattle and some dairy and uh, a lot of chicken coops. And Pilgrim's Pride is in the in the area. And they the the chicken coops are blacked out. The the chickens that you eat at the store never see the sunlight most of the time. Uh, they they never walk around outside. The, a lot of them end up dying because the conditions are just so awful. I mean, we had a, a coop across the street, and when the guy opened it to feed the chickens at lunch or whatever, I mean, he's a good eh, 70 yards away, but, oh, the smell was just so awful. Just from him opening the door, you could immediately almost tell. Well, the question becomes, do you want to eat diseased animals, unhealthy animals? If you're eating unhealthy tissue, what does that do to your body? Yeah, I mean, and they are, they're, they're, they're genetically selecting or engineering. What I don't know exactly what they're doing. I haven't finished the movie yet. But they're, uh, they're doing all of these things to maximize productivity, to get the chicken in 28 days. And to them, it's, it's how much meat can they get off of it. They don't really care if the chicken can't actually stand up and walk more than four steps. Well, that's why you're also seeing the rise of a free-range type meat. And, and mm-hmm. the marketplace uh, is and reacting or- to that. Organic is the and same organic. thing. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's really the answer to all of this. I, I'm not Let the holding... marketplace decide. Because some people don't care about it. They, they, sh- they should be able to eat it. But... I like to know where my food comes from and how it's produced, Mm -hmm. and I like to know that I'm eating a healthy animal if I'm going to eat animal products at all. Mm -hmm. Plants, too. You know, if you grow broccoli in an unhealthy soil, it's it's not going to be good for you either. And if you you try to genetically modify it so that maybe it, it can withstand more herbicides sprayed on it, that doesn't make it healthier for my body, though. So I don't want that. Yeah, and I'm not about to sit here and hold my breath waiting for the politicians to come up, step up and do the right thing to get us away from the Federal Reserve System, which is you know not federal and keeps nothing in reserve. Uh, I'm not about to let them, to, to wait for them to lead the way here because these people aren't leaders. I mean, these are the geeks in high school that want to run for the city council or for the student, student council. Student council. Or be a hall monitor. Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, these people don't have the answers. The answer is freedom. The answer is allowing people to create their own currencies, allowing the market to decide what's valuable. And we were talking about this in the break. Uh, Would you rather have a a paper fiat currency that's backed by nothing or or one that's based on maybe bananas or Mm -hmm. oil? Or gold and silver. Right, because some people will say, well, so-and-so wants to go back to the, the classical gold standard. And, and no, I, I don't think that was good either because the government was still too much in control of it. Mm-hmm. I think you have to have 
competing currencies that can be based on anything of value. So if somebody corners the market in silver, for example, you're not reliant on that for money. Or they just start creating these derivatives and in inflating uh, the, the amount of paper that they have circulating in the economy without the actual valuable goods to back it up. That's the core problem, and that's what has to be stopped. Uh, we'll be back after this uh, short break. Call in, share your thoughts, 603-435-1105. Oh, there we go. Now I can hear something. Ah, apparently I just missed the commercial break. <laughs> All right. Apologize for that, folks. Uh, th- this is Free Talk Live. We are coming back from the break a little late there. Uh, and we have a caller from Washington. We've got Ray on the line. Ray, what's on your mind? Hey, guys. Hey, you know, about two years ago, um, when this thing started falling apart, really it was a good thing they, they did bail us out. And I'll tell you why. If you know anything really serious about capital... Uh, we were going down the tubes that day. When I got up one morning, the stock market was already futures, put it down 500 points. Bank Bernanke steps in and cuts the interest rate a half a percent. At that time, you only had a $100,000 guarantee on your money. And what that said to you, we're already done for. We only bring in $2 trillion. We are 13 I mean, basic mathematics will tell you just that number alone, we can't pay it off. Can't pay it off, right. We can't pay it off. And if you, if you care about your money and your safety, it, buy land and sell contracts on the land. So you buy a piece of property, you buy a maybe a thirty or $40,000 piece of property, and you sell a contract on it at, say, 7%. And that's real money. That's real asset. There's tangible things there. I can go see that land. It's not like a piece of paper I can lend on fire. And it's a finite thing. There's only so much land on the planet. That's correct. And, uh, and then think about when, uh, when things are going to go bad, what do people need? I found this out in 79, when things went bad in the economy, people needed wood stoves because they were trying to save money on heat. So in the next run, wood stoves aren't as easy to collect, but equipment like tractors and things like that, okay, mm-hmm. this stuff has value. A, 19, a 1939 Ford came off the factory line at $500. Today it sells for $2,500. You know, gold, all you can do is bribe the border guard with that stuff. <laughs> it's, it's not really any good. You've got to have real tangible access that people will need, uh, wood, other things like that. Um, you know, the real problem that people don't understand is that even the experts you're talking to, the one thing he didn't say, which is clear as a bell to anybody who understands capital, if you buy a United States trust for $1,000 and the interest rate goes down after the day, that treasury's worth more money. And if you want to watch the Chinese play us, it's clear as a bell or anybody else in big finance. Each time this interest rate goes down, and for no good reason, because it should really be going up, you have to admit yeah. that, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Chinese, should be the going Chinese up. are getting richer every day. Our interest rate goes down. They bought those bonds quite a while ago. And the the writing's on the wall, too, because in Japan, they had zero or near zero percent interest rates for a long time. And it creates something called the carry trade, where the the banks come in, they borrow money at at next to zero percent interest rate in the U.S., or in this case, it was in Japan. And then they take that money to the more speculative markets where they can loan it out at 10, 12, 13, 16 percent interest. And what that does, it does two things. One, it exports the wealth, the money, 
out of the country where you're trying to stimulate the economy to begin with. And the other thing that it does is it, it, it contributes to and creates these bubbles around the world in all of these different markets, which will end up in collapse, which means the money's not going to come back. And in Japan's case, they've been in a like 10-year-plus 10, 10 uh, recession because of all this, and the U.S. is facing the exact same situation. Right. And if you keep a market like you do, in 1979, when I was a young man, I seen how bad it got in, that, uh, in a downturn then. And I realized how much I was owned, and the only thing owning me was money. Okay, so if I had enough money to go out in the country and buy 40 acres of ground, have my own water, my own everything, my own wood, my eight chickens, like you guys were just talking about, I didn't be owned. I wasn't owned anymore. But if you take a look at the people today, they think they're pretty smart, but they're really owned. That's yeah. why I sit back every day, relax, and watch them run their heads into the wall on my nice 40-acre farm because they don't understand the concept of money. If you want to have everything now, you can wind up being a slave all your life. Mm-hmm. If you work hard when you're young, 80 hours a week when you're 19, and you gain money and you put it into a piece of property and then you pay off all your debts, and then you take your money and you buy properties and you sell it to other people, you know, essentially you become freedom, and the only freedom that buys you that is that paper currency. It yeah. doesn't really mean anything. It's just your way to freedom. Now, we're watching right now a tight labor market, so we've got all these people as slaves. I don't care what college you went to. I don't care how smart you are. If you're out there working, beating your brains against the wall, you become a slave to them. And you know what? You even ask yourself, why do you work? Because that's that? that's what they told you to uh, to do. I mean, they train you in the government schools. You need to get an education. You need to go to college so you can go out and get a job and become an employee. And then all the employees are encouraged to uh, invest their money. And you got to save some of your money and put it in one of them their four hundred one ks, which the government K's. controls mm-hmm. buy stocks. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll tell you something. When I was a young man and I came from a family of eight, and I wondered why the rich people had all the money. So when I grow up, I decide to get some of that. And now today, I, why do we let them just run over us and say, well, you'll work for us because you're so desperate you need the money? Mm. Why do we need mm-hmm. Why doesn't our generations and stuff of, of people say, hey, listen, let me make my son rich so he don't have to work? Why doesn't he make his son rich? See, that's how rich yeah. people do it. And I, we got to learn that. That's all. Well, I learned it. And I don't. I I think it's it's because of these government schools. I mean, they're not designed to create people who can go out and solve problems and be creative thinkers and and understand things for themselves and start they're, their own businesses too. Yeah. Because and you know, a lot of people exactly. in school now basically are being trained to dislike businesses. They'll say, "Oh, I want to go do uh, work for the with the Peace Corps. I don't want to work for some business." businesses are good they do good things now not all businesses do but but if you're in business to meet an to meet an unmet need in your community then you're doing good for your community and if you're creating something at a price that's fair for everybody where you make money and they get their service at a decent price that's a win-win situation that's what business and entrepreneurship is all about yeah and yeah well i'll tell you that's that's what i did the same thing you're just talking about i i was a young guy didn't want to go to school by the eighth grade i was out of there my father taught me to weld i turned and learned to manufacture products and sell to people and mostly like what i manufactured was shovel loaders for for tractors mm-hmm. and and then i turned around and when my son came up and he said dad i don't want to go to school i said listen the the, the smartest guy in the whole school doesn't even make what your father pays in federal income taxes when well, that year i probably paid about 106,000 and I said, listen to me, and I'll get you there. 
And, you know, today at 27, he's a wealthy man, too. Yeah. He doesn't have to go out, and he treats his workers with respect. Got seven people who work for him, been here almost since day one, and treat them with respect and decency. You don't have to pay a million dollars an hour. Just say, listen, this is what I can pay if you want to work here. Here's the deal, and, and you go on. It's, so a, it's an a, American product. It's a different work ethic that exists today with this generation compared to, like, my grandfather. He uh, was in World War II, got a land grant from the Navy, uh, we had the family farm where he went down, cut down trees from the farm, took them to the sawmill, had them milled, brought that back, and built his house in uh, Dallas, Texas. Now, he retired. Uh, he raised um, four kids through the Depression, and he retired making the most money that he had ever made in his life, which was $40,000 in uh, 1980. And when he passed away after living 20 years on his retirement money, his estate was worth half a million dollars, and that's not counting the farm. Well, that's how you get money. you got to get some of it yeah. to get more of it. It's like a big tool. And he the had, more you get, the more you'll get. He leased the, the farmland out to uh, vegetable farmers. We had cattle on some of it. He had a Christmas tree lot where we would go out, cut the Christmas trees down, and he made an agreement with the local grocery store to sell Christmas trees in the uh, parking lot. I mean, he did a number of different things like that. He helped his neighbors out. He believed in community. And, you know, it, it's it, things have changed. And I think it's it goes back to the, the sort of some of the commonalities. And the biggest one that stands out are these government schools where they teach them, no, it's not about that. It's about respecting authority and doing what you're told. And it's just nonsense. And what, what the question is, too, what is authority and, and who, who gives it to you? Yeah, well, yeah. They'll, they'll tell you that. Don't worry. You don't need to yeah. think about such things. We'll tell you everything you need to know, Wayne. <laughs> hey, Ray, uh, thanks for the thanks, call. Ray. Great hey, discussion. Care, All right. Have a good night. And uh, we will be back with uh, our number three here after the break. This is Free Talk Live. Call in and bring up anything. 603-435-1105. Welcome to hour number three of the Sunday edition of Free Talk Live. You can give us a call if you like at 603-435-1105 and let us know what's on your mind. This is Wayne and Sam. And we are about to talk a little bit more about capitalism and the economy now on the third hour. And Sam, I told you about this article I found recently called Give Me Capitalism Without the Cronies which is also part of the solution to some of the problems that we laid out previously on the show earlier today. Right, tonight. and I, I like the title of this. I think I know where the story's going because one of the things that I always hear, especially from the, the people that are more socialist-minded, uh, is, well, a, this free market is a failure. I mean, we have a free market today, and look at what it got us. I mean, we've got these big corporations. Who is going to keep the big corporations in check, Wayne? It, it's a, it's, it, this just proves that capitalism doesn't work. Well, what makes you think we have capitalism? Because they told me in school that this is capitalism, <laughs> okay? That's right. Well, who who's the biggest corporation in the world? Uh, the government. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the federal government. All right, let's see what this story tells us. Much of the monetary actions made by the Federal Reserve and other central banks last year and the year before were done under the auspices of they were trying to save capitalism or the free market. Setting aside the fact that the U.S. hasn't been a free market in decades, if ever, 
This statement is so boldly stupid that it's amazing no one laughed at the powers that be when they claimed it. Save capitalism? What exactly does that statement mean? How does one save a system that by its very nature encompasses failure and collapse for those who mess up? For capitalism in its purest form is nothing if not a system through which bad business decisions result in failure and good business decisions result in success. Indeed, if some financial firm makes a colossal mistake, say betting trillions of dollars of mortgage-backed securities the wrong way, for example, and subsequently finds itself insolvent, capitalism dictates that said firm should go under. End of story. This is capitalism. Yeah, you make mistakes. You uh, you take the consequences of your actions, and you know if it, some are worse than others. Some mm-hmm. you can survive and and sort of learn and grow from. Others will put people out of business, and it's supposed to be that way for a reason. And we have a bankruptcy system in place to hand off the assets to creditors and more capable business people from the people who messed it up. Right, because what happens inevitably is you have a fire sale of the business and all of their assets. Uh, it's never market rates. You're you're doing good probably to get 10 cents on the dollar for a lot of this stuff. That's what the banks will evaluate your, your stuff at. But then somebody comes in and uses those assets and puts them to better use than you. And if they right. don't, they go out of business and then the assets go to somebody else. That's how it works. Capital has to go into it, the friendliest hands who will put... will uh, Make the best use of the, the resources. Make the best use, exactly. Yep. But however, as the article goes on, That's not the system that we have in the U.S. today. Indeed, it's not clear to me, the author, that we ever had uh, that sort of system. As far back as the 1850s, the U.S. business game was somewhat rigged as various entities attempted to form monopolies to increase their leverage over their respective industries, John D. Rockefeller's Standard Oil being the most obvious example. To think that these monopolies were formed without some degree of government allowance or even approval is naive. However... At least Rockefeller's company actually made money. In in today's crony capitalist economy, the political system is bought outright by the large multinational corporations via various lobbying efforts and corporate donations. Which, by the way, there was a study about a year ago out by one of the major universities that showed the return, the return on investment for lobbying is top of its class, about 6,000%. Wow. Well, the multinationals then receive kickbacks in the form of deregulatory policies and other tax loopholes, which permit them to further expand their power and influence. However, unlike Rockefeller's Standard Oil, most of these large-scale firms, especially the banks, are in fact insolvent or would be if they did not have the unprecedented access to U.S. Federal Reserve and taxpayer dollars. Right, because the banks are, again, engaging in this fiat practice of creating these derivatives. When you go in and deposit um, $1,000 through the derivative, through the fractional reserve system, that becomes a, a factor of 10. It, it inflates the money supply by a factor of 10, is, is my understanding of it. And when you're signing for your house mortgage, you never you, do you ever get a check for the money that you're borrowing for the house? Do you ever get to see the cash? No, because you're creating that money with your signature. It's it's a promissory note that you're creating. The bank doesn't even have the money that they're loaning to uh, to buy the house. It's, yep. it's amazing many, what they get claim, away with. Many claim that the process is fraudulent. But anyway, these groups, uh, these banks that are getting government benefits, 
are, aren't strong pillars of profitability. They're massively insolvent, Im, uh, unprofitable messes that wouldn't exist if it were not for the accounting standards that have been suspended or disregarded as national policy, unless you're talking about ordinary Americans, of course. These companies don't uh, add value to the U.S. economy, like we were discussing earlier. If anything, they are a net drag on U.S. productivity, and they simply move capital around, most often from their clients' accounts to their own. How many Goldman Sachs clients made fortunes in 2008-2009? Not many. How many Goldman employees made fortunes or took in record bonuses during that time? Quite a few. Record numbers, yeah. Goldman, of course, is only one example. But the whole U.S. system operates based on the principles of moral hazard, double standards, and crony capitalism. Which brings us to the author's final point. The U.S. is not a capitalist country. And it sure as heck ain't a free market. Nope, not the U.S. It is a crony capitalist state a state where one's position and socioeconomic complex dictates the rules by which one can play. End of story. Look at the individuals dictating our economic policy. Geithner, Summers, Rubin, to a lesser degree. All of them have either been responsible for massive blow-ups, which should have ended their careers, or they should have played uh, by a different set of rules their entire lives. Or they have, rather. Instead, they've been promoted the most powerful economic positions in the country. Why? Because they understand the part of crony capitalism that matters most. It's the cronies, not the capitalism. Yeah. Until we change this and start leveling the playing field so that individuals with real ideas and solutions and strong track records can rise to positions of, of prominence in the public uh, arena and, and the private arena, the U.S. as a whole is screwed. Or rather, those of us who don't fall into the crony category, 300 million plus of us, are screwed. Yeah. And that's that's a very good point the, the article uh, makes. The author's name is Graham Summers, and I would strongly recommend that you read it if you, if you can find it. Now, the corporations, this is something that I think a lot of people who are new to these ideas don't really understand. They, you know, the, the question, they might have heard all of this and said, yeah, well, those are the big guys, but there's still like, there's Walmart, there's you know, all of these corporate uh, companies, who's going to keep them in check? And, you know, personally, I have no problem if somebody wants to, if, if somebody's so successful and they're doing such a great job out in the marketplace providing their particular good or service that they become massive and become mm. one of the largest organizations out there like Walmart does. Sure. It's, 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 I was going to say, you also hear people who are so-called from the left who say, what about monopolies? Mm-hmm. Well, there's two types of monopolies. There's coercive monopolies and market monopolies. Yes. Market monopolies are not to be worried about because as long as there's no barrier to entry in that market, as soon as someone like Walmart were to start raising their prices, start doing things that the marketplace didn't like, then another competitor is free to rise up and, and challenge them. Whereas a coercive monopoly is one where the government gets involved and says, you can only buy from this guy, whether it's insurance or whatever it might be. Those are the ones that are a problem because you don't have a choice. And this is where the government regulations come in that that are they they serve as barriers to entry mm-hmm. for all of the upstarts out there, all of the business licenses and oh that you've got to get these inspections and you have to get this approval. All of this garbage 
is just getting in the way of people getting cheaper goods and services from uh, entrepreneurs who are willing to take the risk and provide it. And when we come back, let's also talk about corporations, the nature of corporations. That's an important one. The fact that they, they don't exist. I mean, it's a file folder that the government gives rights to in order to shield the owners from uh, their actions. And we'll cover that and more in, uh, in a minute when we come back. This is Free Talk Live. You can call in, join this discussion, or bring up something else, 603-435-1105, and hopefully we'll catch the break when it returns. <laughs> This is Free Talk Live. It is a show about your calls. If you make them to 603-435-1105. Joining you live this Sunday evening, it's Sam. And Wayne. And we are going to jump back into a topic that we've been kind of covering on and off here throughout the show. Just talking generally about the economy, about the, uh, you know, kind of the economic situation and how did we get to here? I mean... We went through in the hour number two a lot of the uh, the details as to what's wrong, what the, what's the problem, you know, how did it get this bad? And uh, sort of we've transitioned from there into, well, what are some of the solutions? And we talked about owning equipment, having things of value, you know, investing rather than just trying to spend your money on whatever gadget and that sort of thing you want to acquire. And it's really a difference in mindset. And now I think we're kind of getting into sort of some of the common arguments I think that people bring up when you say free market or capitalism or capitalism. Yeah. These are like these dirty words that, Oh no, no, you, we can't have that because it doesn't work, but it's, it's a, it's a misunderstanding. It is. And it's interesting how, if you think about the whole political spectrum, how the Republicans will talk about the free market, the free market capitalism, but they, they do, they do the crony capitalism thing. And what they do is they're poisoning the well. They're discrediting the free market and capitalism. Like you heard Bush talking about, oh, I'm a free market guy, but I had to do this bailout. He's not a free market guy. He never no. has been. They've never practiced free market capitalism. It's a bunch of baloney. Real free market capitalism is not what any of the political class wants, whether they have an R after their name or a D. Yeah. They, they want to be in control of the economy. And that's the problem is that when you have a small group of people controlling an economy, they're the ones who get to delve out the loot. They're the ones who get to uh, decide who gets the favors and who doesn't. They want that kind of power. But in a real free market economy, it's decentralized. And the government doesn't have much control, if any, over it. And it's crazy to think that central planning works. I mean, where are the examples of the great centrally planned uh, empires? You know, Why aren't we all living under a one-world government if it's such a wonderful system? The idea that some guy is going to be so smart. I mean, Stefan Molyneux talks about the the guys in, in the back room with the propeller hats on, spinning them around and deciding, all right, you will work here. You're going to be a sheep farmer. We need you to uh, work in the clothing factory and, and uh, on and on. It, it just it doesn't work. Never it, has, never will. And it, the more centrally planned it is, uh, the more people it covers, the worse and more dysfunctional it becomes. Yeah, we had a caller. I just managed to hang up on him. Oops. Oh, sorry. Call sorry back. about that. Call, Call back. back. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to corporations, Sam, because this is something that we also hear a lot. Yes. Corp- what are corporations? They're fictional entities. They're they're shells. They're 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 a, they're a, a bunch of paper in a in a folder that says you own this company, and and basically corporations are formed to absolve the owners of of taxes, liability, and and other things like that. And sometimes uh, they want them to be anonymous. The owners of the company, mm-hmm. and and what that does is it does um, 
in many ways discourage responsibility, yes. obviously. Corporations uh, like government um, uh, tend not to be as responsible as, as an individual would be. And, and the, the way it's sold to people is, well, you, you could be sued and your personal assets could be seized and so forth. You know, that's a real concern because especially when you start adding employees in and have lots of people doing different things out in the world, people can make mistakes. And I, if I'm mm. the founder of some large uh, organization that has 5,000 employees and one of them goes out and does something really stupid, mm-hmm. I yep. don't want to lose my house because sure. of this idiot that I made the mistake of hiring. Uh, and I think the market will come up with some kind of protection. And again, this would go back into... Uh, sort of private arbitration and getting rid of the uh, the government so-called justice system that, uh, you know, forces all of these rules and these ideas on everybody, whereas I think the market would be far more fair and just with people. But, you know, I, I often ask my friends who are really anti-corporate lefties, I say, well, you know, if, if the government who you think is so wonderful, if they're really that wonderful, you know, they're the ones who create these corporations. Corporations are basically a government entity. They're, they're a creation, they're of, creation the of the government. They're a yep. child of the government. Why doesn't the government just uh, repeal their, their corporate charter and shut them down? They could do that. Whoa, they could... whoa, whoa. We can't do that. You know how much taxes that brings in. All right. Let's, uh, let's, we've got a phone call here. Let's uh, go to unscreen to the phone line. Who's this? Oh, you scared me, man. I don't know if we got unscreened. How exciting. <laughs> yeah, this is Doug from Minnesota. Hi, Doug. What's on your mind tonight? Fellow videographer. Hey, I was just uh, on your topic there. I just come back to my mom, who's 70 years old, yep. and she was going, look at this crazy stuff in the Social Security Administration. The so- last five years, she gets a letter every year that says, congratulations, your, your widow's pension is going up, or your widow's stuff is going up, so here's a whole bunch of money. Uh, and yay! And then a year later, we overpaid you by eight thousand dollars. <laughs> we're not. You can either pay us back all at once, or we're going to not pay you for the next five months. And then, like, a to year somebody later, on a on a fixed income who uh, yep. you depends know, on that, who believes that that money was rightfully theirs and that they could go out and use it to maybe put a new roof on the house or or who knows what she did with it. And now they're coming back saying, oh, well, we could just strip away all of your payments that you're using to support yourself and live. I'd be taking them to yep. court. Oh. Well, the craziest thing was um, she got a letter She got a letter yesterday or Sunday. She got a letter on uh, Friday that said, we made a mistake. Uh, we even overpaid $4,000. You're not going to be withheld this much. And, and here's the amount. She got a letter from the same office the next day with totally different numbers from the same person saying, <laughs> wow. you made a mistake, here's your new amount. And she goes, I don't know where these numbers are coming from. And she also you know, gets a pension from the California Teachers Association, and that increases every year, and mm-hmm. that's guaranteed, you know, it's a semi-private organization. But that confuses Social Security because then they've got to readjust their numbers. And but, but yet at one time, someone in California said, "No, no, you'll get both the Social Security and your pension." But now they say, "No, no, no. If you get your pension, you, your Social Security is reduced by X amount." But this well, is, which a, is it? Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's a consequence of the government getting so big that even the people running it have no idea what the f is going the on. The whole the whole system has become so corrupt and so complex that it has nothing to do but collapse. Yeah. Yep. And, and we have planning, to get back uh, to simplicity. 
That's what always yeah, happens and, when and, complex uh, societies get too complex is eventually they collapse and people get back to simplicity and basics. And then from there, they can they can draw a functional system. Right. And, and you're right. She, she had plans to, ironically, Sam, replace the roof, you know, and now she's <laughs> got to wait till after the winter for that. And she was going to do you know, all these things. And now she's like, I can't even I don't even know if, I'm, if I can visit my daughter in Montana because I'm not sure, you know, and, and what's going to happen if I don't get paid for five months? I mean, she's a good wow. planner and is taking care of herself, and she just doesn't want the uncertainty. That's what's killing her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the government has no responsibility to provide her with correct answers. If uh, no. if they ended up d- d- cutting her off for five months and then realized, oops, the uh, the $4,000 figure was actually correct and... No, nothing's going to happen to them. The, nobody's going to be yeah. fired at the Social Security office. They're, they they don't yeah. care. No, and then she may invite her. You are welcome to submit X form and request X information, and uh, we will try to figure it out. In and, uh, six to eight happy. months. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, Doug, thank you for the call. Great story, yeah. man. I appreciate you making it. Uh, we'll be right back after this break. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. You can call in, bring up anything at 603-435-1105. 603-435-1105. Joining you tonight, it's Sam. And Wayne. And Wayne, we have been, uh, man, covering a lot, a number of topics, really going into uh, depth on the economy, on the economic situation, what to do to prepare, some, some of those sort of things. Um, did you finish all of your thoughts on corporate corporations and the whole free market idea? Do we need to co- go back and sort of touch up on any of that? Well, I think that the corporation thing is an important issue because the way corporations have been used in the last 50 to 100 years has been, in many cases, the, the ones that people are upset about, the big ones. The reason why they got so big was that they a lot of them used their political influence to have laws passed in their favor. And this is an old game. You know, you... You have laws passed that limit competition in your industry that absolve you from liability and maybe even mandate the use of your product or service. Mm-hmm. And that's been going on for a while. Now, I mean, a lot of businesses uh, are, are sole proprietorships. They're owned by a family or a couple or a person, and they can have insurance. You know, you can get business insurance that would cover you probably more so even than, than a corporation because if, if you're really negligent or one of your employees is very negligent, a, a judge can pierce the corporate veil and go after you anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're, giving, you're getting total protection by having a corporation. But I would like to, I'd like to go back and I'd like to see the days when, when businesses are more Main Street, mom and pop, because that's really what built this country. That's who creates most of the jobs. And, and the corporate thing is, is, is going way too far. Yeah, you know, Gerald Salente talks about sort of the uh, uh, the return to the mom and pops, the the local aspects, and, and we see that are around the country. People advocating buy local or buy American, and so and yeah, I, I can sort of agree with that. But well, local I, food is good just because it's fresher, yes, and more nutritious, yeah. And you know where your food's coming from, as opposed to being shipped in from another country. It's picked green. It's it doesn't have all its nutrients. And it can be contaminated in the process as well. And I think what, I, this is the Sam trend, I guess, 
is I think what we're going to see over the next decade is really the great decentralization is society has built up around government. They've continually put their tentacles into more and more areas. I mean, they're bringing in in baseball players before Congress to cover what did, are you using steroids? No. Uh, Hello. Never used it in my life. What does Congress have to do with a criminal matter or, or, or a private uh, sports organization? It's just so out of control. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have gotten into so many aspects of your, of our everyday lives and uh, affected just really sort of shaped our society and forced us down certain roads. And I think we talked about sort of the local currencies and having private competing currencies based on, you know, anything from oil, gold and silver, uh, bananas. You mentioned a, uh, a freight container of toilet paper. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you could have money that, that's represented by rolls of toilet paper. Sitting because, in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah, and it's something that people are going to need, you know. And so it's anything of value can be uh, represented by a fiat currency or not. It wouldn't be a fiat at that time. By paper receipts that can be, you know, you could, I guess, go to the, the company and say, all right, here you go. I want my uh, container of toilet paper. I, I've, <laughs> I just had Mexican food, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Although throughout history, the things that have worked best as, as a reserve for the currency are things that are storable, durable, yes. you know, divisible. And, and that's where gold and silver and platinum and some of the metals are so valuable. But you can still have derivative currencies that – not derivative currencies like derivatives, but you can have lesser currencies that are backed by things that aren't that may be a little bit more perishable right. over time. Yeah, the uh, gold and silvers also have a much higher density um, value, I guess, to them in a much smaller package than a, a – uh, $100 or $150 barrel of oil that's 40 gallons or, or 50 gallons, whatever they are. And also you have barter, too, which is kind of discouraged nowadays. But mm-hmm. barter, if, for example, let's say you, you were on a gold and silver standard and the rich people came in and took all the gold and silver, you can still transact business because you can barter. You can, you can if, you, if you create whiskey, you know, just like with, what happened with the whiskey rebellion, that people were using whiskey as currency because yep. the specie was, was fairly scarce. There's always a way to do business. The, the apples are still going to grow in the trees. The grass is still going to grow. Mm-hmm. The rain is still going to come down. There's always a way to get what you need in life. And you can you can encourage this in your own community by going out and starting a flea market or participating in one that already exists. Or a farmer's market. A farmer's market. Create your own. Don't go and beg the government for permission to do this. I mean, somebody started this, Luther started this in uh, here in Keene, and the police came out and cracked down on the, you know, one of the participants was a little eight-year-old girl who was going to sell limeade. And, oh, you, do you have a permit for that? And, no, I guess you can't sell limeade then. So, you know, it's so ridiculous how far they'll go. But that, I think, is the ultimate answer to sort of undoing a lot of the damage that's been done. It's, it's by decentralizing all of these uh, huge organizations that have built up, that have taken over the food supply, that have taken over uh, retail, that have taken over to control of Ninety percent of the media out there, mm-hmm. of course, that's changed just by the independent media becoming bigger than the mainstream nowadays. So, and, the, and the next big one to fall, I think, is education because education has gotten so top heavy. Oh yes, there are so many uh, people, mucky mucks with big degrees, that don't even teach. They're making big salaries. The whole, the whole that system is going to collapse as well. And and you know, if you've ever read, and I just was kind of went back to it as John Taylor Gatto's. Uh, 
book called The Underground History of American Education. Mm-hmm. It is just fascinating to read that book because it just shows how the more so-called professional education has gotten, the higher the illiteracy rate has Yeah. Gotten. And back in the 1800s, when people didn't have all these professionals teaching them, they were more literate and, more, and, and they, they were pretty much done with their education by the time the eighth grade was over. And go get a document from the 1800s that was written in the newspaper and and try and read and, and comprehend that. That was not people showing off, you know, mm-hmm. writing their own, uh, uh, their their masterpiece or whatever. That's how people talked. That's the vocabulary that people had back then, and, and it's a shame. At, at a lot of it's been lost. Some of the subtleties today. in the language, too, that were exercised back then when you read it, it's, it's amazing. And so, again, that's another thing I think you're going to see a collapse in eventually because it's just unsustainable, it the is. amount of money. When you, when you have 75% of your property taxes going to public education, it's a, it's a big drag in the system. And it's not to say the teachers aren't, aren't needed and good, but... We have a, we, it's a very coercive system that's very top-heavy, and it's going to collapse. Yeah, here in Keene, New Hampshire, just the, the public education system, they're spending over $18,000 per student per year. And that's mm-hmm. such an outrageous sum because there are private schools that are doing this, you know, providing a, a good quality education for five grand. How is it that they can manage when, mm-hmm. you know, the government's spending two to three to four times that amount on, on one kid? And... and they they have to shoehorn in this one size must fit all solution on everybody. The the kids who are special needs don't really get the the attention that they need. They don't get the specialized service that they need because it's it's not their primary goal. Whereas if you had diversity, if you had all of these competing organizations out there, uh, there would be differences between them. They were there would be specialization. There would be folks that would be more capable, more apt to. Uh, number one, teach stu- teach your kids in a way that that agrees with your philosophy on life, with your viewpoints, with what you believe in, and you know they would also do it in a more effective way, just because they have the natural market signals in their uh, in in effect. Well, I've worked with kids before, and I've also coached, and and you know if you're a coach, regardless of the sport, you know that the different players uh, need different techniques for motivation that what might work on one kid does yep. not work on another. And it's the same thing with teaching. Every kid is wired a little differently. Some kids are more right brain, some are more left brain, some are in the middle somewhere. And you have to be able to evaluate that and know how to um, uh, get through to that child so that they'll learn, so that, so, so that you foster a love of learning. And and so that, I think that's why homeschooling is doing so well now, because homeschooling is just they're micro-private schools, basically. And, uh, they're, and they're following more of that principle back from the 1800s where you learn organically. But the government would tell us the answer is no, just to mold all the kids into our predefined mold. Let's force them all to submit to authority, to do what we say, and everything will be okay. You can trust us, Wayne. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with the final segment. You can call in, get your thoughts in on this or anything else, 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live, Sunday edition. Still time for your calls if you make them right now to 603-435-1105. Wrapping up the last segment here tonight, joining you, it's Sam. And Wayne. And we are going to uh, jump into sort of a a topic that's along the same lines of this education system and the way that people are sort of just trained to 
respect authority to do what they're told in the government school system. Uh, we had, had mentioned in the in the beginning of the show, Wayne, that the music festival was going on, and the, one of my favorite things to do is to when there's a big crowd of people like this and they're out wandering around for Pumpkin Fest is one of the other things the, the local uh, events here in Keene, New Hampshire. Uh, where there are lots of folks for the festival in town. They're wandering around the streets. It's a great chance to get uh, messages out to these people. We hand out uh, flyers, propaganda warning flyers, telling them, you know, don't visit the evil people at freekeen.com. They're filled with hate <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, well, there's, I, I, I really like those kinds of counter messages that are just really off the wall that sort of makes sense, but yet people look at it and they're like, huh? What? Well, that's called, they call that culture jamming. Okay. Uh, there's been some people that are very good at that. And w- what you want to do is if when people say, huh, that's really when you got their attention. Exactly. Because yeah. you haven't, you haven't um, raised, gotten their back up. You haven't uh, gotten them to uh, take one side or the other on they're, something. They're curious. They're like, well, uh, tell me more. And well, we're so divided and polarized. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and they want to get you and they want, they want to basically shoehorn your brain into the the donkey team box or the elephant team box. Yeah, which which side of the big government uh, party are you uh, part of? And then have you fight amongst yourself to right. the death. So one of the folks who uh, does this very well was a guy named Danny Shine in uh, over in the UK and he did the everything is okay sign. And it, it's a wonderful idea. I love it. I made some up uh, for the festival on Saturday and I, I made several different signs. One of them said everything is okay. Uh, another one said, never question authority. Another one said, uh, ban free speech. And uh, oh God, the other ones were the arrows. And we we talked about those, how we use the arrow later in the night. But earlier in the day, while the people were out there, uh, I did something. I did sort of a little experiment with a, that's along the same lines as kind of what Stanley Milgram did, where, you know, you had the... the guy in the white lab coat uh, instructing the the participants in the study to give these electric shocks and increasing intensity to the guy that's screaming and and apparently receiving the electric shock, even though it was all fake, uh, on the other side of this wall where you couldn't see him. And the idea is to point out just how people will do what they're told if it's perceived that an authority figure is the one telling them. So I took out the sign with this arrow on it, and I had uh, sunglasses on, and I had a walkie-talkie in my hand. Now, I'm in blue jeans and a, just a black T-shirt that had some artsy logo or uh, design So you look fairly official. I don't know. I, I didn't even look that official. I just looked like a guy uh, with a, holding a sign and a, and a walkie-talkie, but the walkie-talkie is clearly a symbol of authority. Now, the, I don't know if all schools are like this, but the, the teachers and the bureaucrats at the local schools here all have walkie-talkies that they're talking on. The police certainly all have uh, walkie-talkies. It's a, it's a common form that people see that. It's just like if you see someone uh, open carrying a sidearm here in New Hampshire or other states where it's open carry, a lot of the general public just assumes that, oh, that must be an off-duty cop. He's not in his uniform. And, and they don't think that, oh, you mean just everyday people can carry guns like that. And so I would go out into the sidewalk and hold the sign, point it in one left or right, and then uh, I would, as people were walking up, I would direct them with the walkie-talkie, just kind of waving them to the left side or to the right side. 
And, you know, it's a it's an amazing thing to watch this happen. I did the same thing last year, filmed it, but didn't release the video. This one is out uh, right now on freekeen.com. So you can go there and check out the video and, and watch it later on. Um, but what happens, it's it's interesting to see sort of the dynamic. There's a, a lot of the younger kids will sort of challenge what I'm doing and walk intentionally on the wrong side. But there's like a sort of a middle section of teenagers, I guess, or high school age students that seem to just follow my orders to the letter. And then also the older people don't seem to really question anything. So like in one case, there was this older couple that was probably 50 feet away uh, over on the far left side. I'm three quarters of the way over away from the buildings and so forth on the on the sidewalk. And as soon as they see me with the sign and the arrow and the walkie talkie, they start making their way without question over to the opposite side of the sidewalk to go around me with the sign. Yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, uh, this time, though, it was a little different. The The people would come by and uh, and I I was holding just the sign with the arrow and a lot of them would ask, well, what, what do you want us to go across the street? In one case, I held the sign and did that and a lady actually crossed the street rather than walk beside me because she thought that that's what I was directing her to do and that she was, I guess, required to, to go across the street at this point because there's some guy with a sign there. Fascinating. <laughs> Fascinating. Other people would walk up and say, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I said, oh, I'm just, I'd just like you to, to uh, please use this side of the sidewalk. Uh, it's, it's for your own safety. Well, say, what, what do you mean for my own safety? It's to prevent terrorism. <laughs> and that's what I tell them. <laughs> now, most of the people that I talked to kept walking. Oh, okay, it's to prevent terrorism. <laughs> and they don't even question, like, why would walking on one side of the sidewalk have anything at all to do with safety or, or terrorism? But here it is, the symbol of authority. And, they, well, and especially when you use the word terrorism nowadays, that's that's the big boogeyman now. Yeah, it, it's it's just so insane, though. And, and people didn't even question it for the most part. It was a little better this year than last year. But that teach, that shows you the mentality of what people will do, how trained and I think indoctrinated people are to just sort of not question things, to not think for themselves. I didn't catch all of the interactions and so forth on the video, but there's one that's really telling where I'm standing in front of a tree. There are a lot of people coming from behind me on the left side. The right side of the sidewalk is completely empty. These three high school age kids come walking up and they're walking on the right side of the sidewalk because there's all these people coming through from the left. And I'm like, oh, guys, if you could just walk on the on this side of the sidewalk. So they actually stop, back up, turn to their right, and start standing there waiting for the crowd to move through that's coming through from behind me on my left while nobody's on the other side of the tree. It's completely empty just to obey my sign because all I did was say, yeah, oh, yeah, guys, I need you to please walk on this side. That, that's a fascinating experiment uh, uh, on sheeple. It is. So then the... Uh, do you have any quotients like the, the sheeple quotient? Or, I mean, have you started to really explore this, this science to a deeper level? I just, I like to go out and just sort of play with people. One of the other things I, I did, I mentioned the signs that I had. Uh, one of them would say ban free speech. And so people would come up and say, well, what do you mean? What ban free speech? 
I'm like, yeah, I think free speech really should be banned. And they're like, well, but the, you, what you're doing is free speech. I'm like, yeah, this should be illegal. It needs to be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just looking at me with this puzzled look on their face. So then I would tell some of them, oh, we'll see. The, the problem is that Obama and, and the president and the, and the politicians and the bureaucrats, they come out and they say these things. And you've got all of these protesters out there saying things that contradict what the uh, administration, what the establishment is saying. And oftentimes they're backed up with like all of these really good supporting examples and all this facts and stuff. And it's it really makes the politicians look bad. So clearly the answer is just to ban free speech. <laughs> now that reminds me isn't there a group called the love police that that's the and, and danny yeah, shine yeah, yeah Shine. and what's, what's the other guys charlie veach? charlie veach now yeah. he just hung it up uh there is a post on his blog that says he's done he's not sure about using the megaphone in public and maybe it was too annoying and the police were uh he feels uh very nice and and very respectful and uh he was very gracious of the way they were he feels like he was out sort of spreading a message of peace, but didn't really have peace in his own life because he argued with his roommates and so forth. And it's not to say that people are perfect. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's tough to go out and, and do this stuff. And I certainly struggle with that, too. And I read a book, uh, which I highly recommend, called Peace Pilgrim, which is about a lady who spent her life just traveling around the uh, the country wherever she was asked to go, she would go. She covered, I think, 15,000 miles in the first part of her journey. Uh, she wouldn't eat unless somebody offered her a meal. And, and she lived this way for a number of years, made a real difference. And it took her like 15 years of struggling with anger and letting all this stuff go and really coming around to a message of peace. Awesome. So, all right. Well, you can check out that video at preteen.com. I think you'll enjoy it, as well as the traffic stop that we played in the first hour. Um, that is it, Wayne. And you're Thank Sam. You for, thank you for coming in. I'm Sam. I'm and, Wayne. Uh, you guys enjoy the remainder of your